Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. We're glad that you're here. We like to begin our services. Oh, you're not ready to start, are you? You're still greeting each other. Okay, that's good. We like to begin our services with this greeting that Christians have been using for as long as there have been Christians, I think. The Lord be with you. Thank you. Whether you're here in the room, whether you're joining us online, we believe that the Lord meets us right where we are. And uh, that's something for which I am extremely thankful. Because if I had to, like, I don't know, get in a good place before I could show up for church every Sunday, there'd be Sundays I didn't show up. So uh, we can just bring all that we are and all that we have with us right into God's presence, and, uh, and he is able to meet us here. So let's bow our heads and pray to him as we begin. Thank you, God. Thank you for inviting us into this time, into this place, uh, where we can sing to you and pray to you and listen for your spirit speaking through the scriptures and, and meet you at the table of our Lord Jesus. Uh, God, we are grateful for this chance to center our hearts and our thoughts on you, to bring all that we have, all that we carry with us from this past week, from this morning, all the stuff that roils in our hearts and in our minds. Uh, God, we don't have to pretend it doesn't exist. We don't have to put on a happy face. All we have to do is be honest with you, uh, to come out of hiding, to come into your presence and to receive from you the, the grace that we need, to receive from you the strength that we need, the hope, the peace, all the help that we need, because you love us, and you are here. Thank you for meeting us in our reality in your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, well, if you're interested, Abel, let's stand and let's sing as we begin. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and Those who will trust and obey. 
It will be my joy to say your will, your way. It will be my joy to say your will, your way. It will be my joy to say your will, your way. Gospel of John, uh, chapter 15, verses 12 through 14. These are the words of Jesus. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends.
wanting my love, my Lord, I pour, and my feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will bow your heads with me. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for the love you have shown us in your son, Jesus Christ, and your faithfulness down through the ages. You have proved to be the kind of God that we can entrust ourselves to. As we've just been singing about God, we, we, we give you all that we are. We, we lay ourselves down, our lives down, because that's what you've done for us. God, we, we saw that you weren't going to hold anything back out of love for us, when you saw us trapped in the, in the death, in the mess that we had made by our own sin, you weren't content to just write us off or just to, to say, oh, well, I tried. God, you entered into our mess. You entered into the darkness of our reality in your son, Jesus Christ, the light of the world shining in our darkness, the God of the universe with us. You confronted the powers of sin and evil and death itself. You've, you experienced death so that when we find ourselves at our lowest point, we can know that we are not alone there, but you have been at the lowest point with us and you are with us today. Jesus, by your death, and resurrection, you conquered the powers of sin and death. You've set us free to live new life. You've made it possible for us to trust in you. You've pointed a way toward our Heavenly Father that is open to all of us who will say yes, open to all of us who will simply receive this amazing gift of grace that you give. Thank you, God, that today we can bring all that we have, all that we are to you our questions, our fears, our doubts, our failures, our shame, our joys, our, our thanks. We can bring all of it to you, God. The good and the bad, everything else. Thank you, God. Of course, in response to your laying it all down for us. I mean, what else could we do but say yes to you in return? God, for those of us who still are uh, filled with questions, for those of us who aren't really sure if we, can, if we can trust you, God, I pray that today you would help us to, to encounter you as you really are, in all of your love, in all of your goodness, in all of your patience and kindness, all of your compassion. Help us to, help us to meet you so that we will know that you can be trusted. So we will know that we can, in fact, say yes to you and, and follow this Jesus who, who meets us where we are and who leads us straight to you. Thank you, God. 
Thank you for the opportunity we have to worship together today. Thank you for Pastor Katie and the message that you've given her to bring to us today. I pray that you would uh, bless her, uh, pour out your Holy Spirit upon her, help us to hear your voice speaking uh, through her today. Thank you for the work that you are doing in our lives, through us in the world, here in this church and through this church all over the place. God, you are good. And we are so glad to be a part of the work that you are up to this work of, of loving everybody, of redeeming uh, what, has been, what has been lost, of restoring what has been broken, of bringing life and hope and peace. Thank you that we get to be a part of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. Uh, Take a look around. Ordinarily, this is where we would like greet each other, hug each other, smile, hug, all that, all that kind of stuff. We can't do that right now. All right, we're not there yet. Uh, maybe you can hug whoever you came with, but, but wave to somebody else across the room, and then you can go ahead and have a seat. And um, uh, I've just my name is, is Rich Schmidt. Sorry, I haven't introduced myself. My name is Rich. I'm the pastor here, and um, uh, but I'm not the one bringing the message today. That's going to be uh, Pastor Katie Funk. And uh, before she comes, I just want to let you know that uh, uh, if you're in the room with us. Uh, then you can grab one of those little green cards at some point back by the offering box. If you want to let us know you're with us today, just on your way out, jot us a note, say, uh, yeah, it was good to be with you, or here's how you can be praying for me, or here's how you can be thanking God with me, and uh, drop it in that offering box. That would be a good thing. And, uh, and then uh, if you're giving something today, you can do that too, or you can do just like all of us who are uh, everybody watching online. And we've got several of you uh, that watch every single week online. Hi, we're glad to have you with us. Uh, Please let us know that you're with us. Hit that little uh, livinghope.info slash connect uh, or, uh, or something. Let us know you're with us, how we can pray for you, thank God with you. If you want to give, you, know, you can do that too. Um, the, I did want to mention just a couple of things that uh, if you grabbed one of these on your way in, uh, there are some things on the back, um, like the broad drive that we are still in the midst of. It was great to have uh, Pastor Greg Arthur talk with us last week about Free the Girls a little bit more. If you want to uh, ask for your friend's bras, we're still collecting them. Uh, we actually will collect them all year round, but February is when we emphasize that. Uh, and if you want to know more about Free the Girls and what those bras do to help women escaping sex slavery, there's, uh, there are flyers and other things in the back that you can take with you, or you can go to their website at freethegirls.org. Uh, next week, we're having a little all-church meeting. Every year, we have one of these. It's just in between the services, just 15 minutes. Uh, but if you've been through Living Hope 101 and committed to membership, uh, then uh, that's your chance to vote for who's going to serve on the church board for the coming year. And all of us, everybody's welcome. Uh, we're just going to leave the cameras rolling, so all of you joining us online can, can catch it. Um, but we just update you on uh, here's how the church is doing and finances and, and the things we've been doing to further the mission of Christ uh, this past year, things we're going to be doing this next year. Uh, if you're curious why there are these net things hanging from the, the ceiling over there. Uh, we'll be talking about that a little bit. Uh, but that's next week at 10 o'clock in between the services. And then uh, if you want to grab one of these devotional books on your way out, there are a stack of them on the table, and we have more than, than what's on there. So if, you're getting, if it's getting low and you're like, oh, I don't want to take the last one or something, uh, it's okay, all right? Now, we might not have enough for you to take them and give them to all your friends, but we have enough for you to take one because this is a little devotional guide for the season of Lent. We're going to be looking at, um, I think we're going to be looking at um, the Sermon on the Mount, that's the, the phrase was escaping me there. The Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus had to say there for the 40 days leading us up to Easter. That starts March 2nd with Ash Wednesday, so uh, it's just right around the corner. So if you want to grab one of these books on your way out, um, don't, don't start reading it yet. But, you, but I want you to have it in your hand, okay? So that March 2nd we can, we can go on this journey toward Easter together. Um, all right, I'm very glad that Pastor Katie could be here. She's going to talk a little bit about uh, 
Uh, well, she's going to bring God's word to us, and then I think also say some things about Grain of Rice Project that she's been involved in. And are you going to kind of catch us up on what your life has been, or do you want me to? You will? Well, come on up then. Come on up and do that. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil anything then. Uh, so, yeah, Pastor Katie Funk was our, our youth pastor part-time for like, I don't know, a year and something? Yeah, and uh, before they headed off to do all kinds of fun van life ministry things. So, all right, here you go. Thank you. Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, we currently live um, just about an hour uh, direction west of here, um, right now in Bourbon A near Olivet Nazarene University, so that's where we're living at the moment, so we came from there this morning. Somehow I made it on time with a three-month-old, I don't know how. Well, probably my husband, he helped me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, a little bit of an update. Um, I feel like it's been a long time, actually, um, and I'm sure a lot of you guys, your life has changed um, drastically or in little ways, um, and we've been going through, you know, all these COVID precautions and things like that too. So that adds, um, that just makes time weird. I feel like time's been really weird since 2020. Um, but for, for most of you guys probably know that um, we actually left um, in uh, the fall of 2000, what's the year? Um, 2020. <laughs> um, and we moved into that van, that creepy van that's outside. Um, we moved into that um, and lived on the road for a year and we went across North America. And so it's not creepy, it's, it's a camperized van, it's just like a camper, okay, it's just a white van. But um, we lived in that, we paid off our, my student debt um, from going to private college, um, and we also had a baby. There's a baby back there. <laughs> so lots of ch has changed for us. Um, that's Olive, she's three months old, and she's delightful 99.9% um, .9 of the time. Um, the other 1% would be like last night when she decided that she didn't want to go to bed and we had to get up early to come here this morning. So, you know, you got to keep us on our toes when you're new parents and stuff. So that's sort of what we've been doing. And we also, I also started working for a nonprofit that I'll talk about a little bit in my sermon um, called Grain of Rice Project, which is used to be based in Valparaiso, actually. Um, and it's... Uh, based in Kenya, but our co-founder um, lived in Valpo. So I wanted to share a little bit about parenthood, um, you know, for those of you who maybe aren't parents uh, yourself. Um, you know, many times you heard the phrase, like, you don't really know what parenthood's like until you actually become a parent. And now that I've been a part, like, of this for the last three months, I would say, yes, you don't know what parenthood's like until you become a parent yourself, whether that's through adoption or other means, um, too. So this, right before I came up, actually, this is a prime example um, of how my life has changed. Um, she spit up on me. I was holding her. I was like, ah, she's just so cute. I need to cuddle her before I you know, go up and do the sermon. And I literally was holding her, and she spit up on me. So that's how my life has changed a bit. Um, it's now an accessory, like a burp, burp cloth is an accessory to my outfits. Um, and this is actually the most dressed up I've been this whole week. I usually wear sweatpants because um, why wear nice things? Like when you're going to have spit up on your clothes all the time. So my life has transitioned the last three months into becoming full of sleepless nights and breastfeeding, constant diaper changes, Googling all of the things as we do as first-time parents, um, soothing a fussy baby, which was prime last night. She was very fussy, and I still, to this to this morning, do not know why she was so fussy, um, because she's usually not that fussy. 
And we've been figuring out bedtime routines, so that's the other aspect. We tried to have her in bed by 8 p.m. Tried, very hard. Um, I think she went down uh, 11, was that right? Okay, yeah, that's right. So that's what our life looks like now, and we're just trying to figure out how to manage our jobs and how to manage our marriage now on top of all of that. So we know sort of what the nitty-gritty to parenthood is, is now. Um, we don't just hear things about it. Before, it was kind of foreign to me. I, last time I think I babysat a baby was four years ago, so I should have probably practiced a little bit. But so far, so good. Like, she's doing great. Um, but those things were so foreign. I hated spit up. It was disgusting, especially when, like, now it's my kid, so it feels a little less disgusting, believe it or not. Um, but before, it was like, and my husband hates milk, so add that to the list of uh, things that he's grossed out by. But through the last three months, we have had to sacrifice a lot of our comforts. Um, we don't get to sleep through the night all the time. She's been doing pretty well. We've had some, um, some times when she slept through the whole night um, the last few weeks. So that's been great. Um, and we've also had to shift our priorities. Now we don't have the independence of, we have a dog. So we had a dog prior. We could just leave her at home. We just like, okay, you're fine for like, we're going to go to Target and do our like errands and everything. You just stay there, be a good girl. Can't do that with a baby. So now our whole priority changes. It takes us a lot longer to get out of the house. I had to get up at 5.30 to be here this morning. We, don't worry, we didn't leave until 7, but I have to feed the baby. I have to get dressed myself. We have to get all of the things. We literally have all the things back there. So our priorities have shifted, and we've had to recognize that there's no going back. We are now parents for the rest of our lives. So a lot has changed. And just yesterday, Joel said to me, he's like, I know that this has been like a hard season, and we probably have it somewhat easy because she's kind of a nice human. Um, she's not super fussy, but it's been challenging still. It's re made us reorient our whole life, and yet she's also so worth it. And that's really how I would sum up parenthood with the three months that I've been able to experience it myself. This morning, uh, we find ourselves in a particular story where Jesus reveals the nitty-gritty of what it looks like to be a disciple. So parenthood, discipleship, slightly different, but... There's some comparisons, trust me. So let me set the stage for us this morning. We're going to be in Luke um, chapter 9, and starting in verse 51, this becomes a pretty big turning point for Jesus' journey. Um, Luke says that, the, this verse says, When the day drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Here Jesus is actually acting in accordance to his destiny as he prepares to travel to Jerusalem. The Greek word here, um, I didn't take Greek personally, but I did look this up, um, is that the Greek word here means uh, when the day, so for the word when the day drew near or as the time approached, it literally describes a ship that's ready for a voyage. The cargo and the crew are ready. And so here Luke is actually comparing Jesus's destiny to a ship being made ready for a voyage. He characterizes Jesus moving towards Jerusalem like a man determined not to miss the date of his sailing. Jesus is not only determined to make this journey to Jerusalem, but he actually fixes his eyes on the cross. That's what's ahead. 
So every story that Jesus has told, every miracle that he's performed, every conversation in which he's engaged from this point on has the, the, the cross pulsating in the back of his mind. Every incident from here on will happen on the way to the cross. And Jesus will take every opportunity he has to teach about discipleship. Now, Jesus is en route to Jerusalem. This is the most direct route to Jerusalem is from Galilee to Jerusalem is through Samaria. But most Jews traveling between Galilee, which is where Jesus is at this point, and to Judea where Jerusalem is. Sorry, I got a notification on my iPad. That's good. Um, would be like the most direct route would be just going straight through Samaria. But most Jews traveling between Galilee and Judea would choose to cross the Jordan River and pass by east of Samaria instead of going straight through Samaria to get to Jerusalem. And this wasn't because they were taking the scenic route. We took a lot of scenic routes this last year. But instead, it was that for centuries, Jews and Samaritans had despised each other. See, to the Pharisees and most other Jews, Samaritans were idolatrous half-breeds, ethically polluted, religiously confused, and morally debased. And the feelings were pretty mutual. The Samaritans also despised the Jews just as much. They described the Jews as religious snobs. So there's no surprise here that in this story, Jesus sends forth messengers ahead to Samaria um, to, to... find a place for them to stay the night. It's no surprise, though, that they didn't want to host Jesus and his followers, his disciples. They couldn't fathom allowing someone into the community or showing hospitality to someone who felt like an enemy, who they would call religious snobs. So when James and John are in, along with Jesus, they find out that Jesus wasn't welcomed in this village, they asked Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? A bit much there, right? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I would say Jesus would say to that. Uh, This is where we can kind of understand that James and John actually have the nickname Sons of Thunder because that's what it sounded like to me. They're just like, come on, we can do this. We're going to destroy our enemies, which doesn't sound like very Jesus-like. And so, guess what Jesus does? No surprise here. He rebukes them. See, as we know, um, through knowing the whole, the whole story of Jesus' reason for going to the cross and his resurrection, we know that Jesus will embrace the Samaritan people as people in need of saving, too. His disciples, though, sometimes they're airheads, they don't fully grasp that Jesus is actually going to Jerusalem to die on the cross so that all people... From, would be saved from their sins. So as they continued on to this village, um, onto another village, I'm sorry, because they weren't allowed there, um, Jesus has his eyes still set towards Jerusalem. But on, on the road there, they encounter three potential disciples along the way. So Jesus will take every opportunity, as I mentioned earlier, to teach about what it means to be a disciple and what it means to be a casual follower versus a casual follower. 
So here we get to hear how Jesus breaks down the nitty-gritty of what it means to be, to be a disciple. The first encounter, uh, Jesus says, um, a, a would-be disciple says to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Kind of think of some songs there. You know, there's some cute, like, little love songs where it's like, I'll follow you wherever you go. So maybe it's kind of this, you know, idea there. But this man sounds like it's a pretty bold expression. Jesus, though, doesn't sugarcoat this. He says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus' response, kind of confusing to us, what, is, what does he mean? But Jesus' response is metaphorical here. He um, says that maybe that following, following me might be, mean homelessness. Or another interpretation would be that I am having to be totally dependent on the hospitality of others, and are you willing to be? This is what is at stake here, if you follow me. So this response, though, is pretty realistic. We literally just heard. (laughs) They were trying to find a place to stay, and then the Samaritan village rejected them. So here, it's evident that hospitality might not always be easy to find. And see, I think that in our Western or American culture of convenience and comfort, it makes it it, it even especially hard to imagine what that would be like. It made me think of Joel's pilgrimage. Um, He went on the Camino de Santiago, which means the way of St. James in Spain, um, about seven years ago, I think. And just from the stories he's told me, I was super surprised that he never took a tent with him. Like, this is kind of like a backpacking trip, if you'd imagine. And yet, he's not bringing a tent. I'm like, where are you going to stay? And so this is, for him, he spent five weeks on this trip on the Camino de Santiago, completely dependent on the hospitality of others to sleep every, to place, for a place to sleep every night. And they're called albergues, which is sort of like a really, 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 really cheap hostel um, that's reserved especially for pilgrims on this journey. So that was something he was dependent on, and also sometimes different neighbors in that community would also uh, be willing to host like a pilgrim. So I imagine this. This is what Jesus is saying. Like, you have to be completely dependent. You're not taking a tent with you. You're going to be dependent on the hospitality of others. So Jesus' challenge here is, will you follow me by sacrificing your comforts for the kingdom? Jesus is calling his disciples to unreserved sacrifice in the pursuit of his cause, the kingdom of God. And there's no particular benefit, at least in the worldly sense. You might not be comfortable. You might not have a place to sleep. That is what Jesus is calling this particular disciple to And then along the road, as he's going to Jerusalem, he encounters another man, and Jesus actually uh, invites this man to follow him. He says, come, follow me. This man replies to Jesus' invitation with what seems to be a reasonable response. Lord, let me go first bury my father. Seems like a pretty reasonable excuse, but this is actually the exact opposite of what Jesus expects. Jesus is Jesus actually responds really harshly. He says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Here, Luke doesn't say whether this man's father had just died or if he meant more so, like, let me take care of my father. He's maybe on his deathbed. And then when he dies, I get, I'll perform this customary uh, funeral rite um, as his son. But either way, the, the idea is really similar. See, because during second temple, the second temple period, they practiced what's called a second burial. So after a year of a deceased body is in the tomb, the bones of the dead were then collected and placed in a chest or on a site for the final resting place. This is a whole year later. So even if his father had just died, this meant that this potential disciple had an excuse that could last him a year. Anyone else have excuses that can last us years? See, unlike Matthew and Peter and Andrew, James and John, who immediately left behind their worldly duties, this potential disciple prioritizes his cultural and family duties above following Jesus. And yet Jesus is quite countercultural here. His call is actually possibly going to disrupt family values. But for Jesus, the moment is urgent because as we mentioned, Jesus is on the way to the cross. As Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, the cross is at the forefront front of his head, of his mind. This is urgent. This is, you have to proclaim the kingdom of God that's as, at hand. We can keep thinking of how Jesus' journey is heading towards the cross. The moment is urgent. And so Jesus' challenge here is what worldly duties are keeping you from proclaiming the kingdom of God? What family duties are keeping you from proclaiming the kingdom of God? Jesus requires undivided devotion to him and his kingdom, which sounds quite intense. Lastly, there was another encounter, and Jesus invites a man to, another man to follow him while he's on the road. And this potential disciple actually agrees. He says, I will follow you, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. Seems like a reasonable also response here. I said goodbye to my family before we moved, well, before I moved near, like in Chester, to Chesterton in 2016 from California, might I add. Um, I said goodbye to my family when I went to college in 2010, uh, 200 miles away. We say goodbye to our families when we move. But yet, Jesus' response here is quite harsh. He says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And maybe there's more here than that's at, at the surface. I mean, what's a plow got to do with this, right? <laughs> there's actually a well-known episode in the story of Elijah who is a reoccurring figure in Luke. In 1 Kings, when the prophet Elijah found Elisha, I always have to emphasize those names there, who is the man destined to be his successor, Elijah was a supervisor for a large farm with 12 plow teams, consisting of two oxen, a plow, and a plowman. And so Elijah places, he comes to the field, and he places the cloak on Elijah's shoulders, and he's symbolizing this calling of, his, of this prophet, his successor. And in his response, as he is commissioned, Elijah requested, perhaps still with his hand on the plow, let me, let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will go and follow you. Similar response, right? But what Elijah meant and did was he sacrificed his oxen over a kindled fire 
of the, by using the wood of his plows. And then he, he threw a party for his community and followed Elijah, becoming his servant and successor. See, Elijah said goodbye to his community while looking forward, not a longing glance back at everything he was leaving behind. He literally sacrificed his oxen and kindled his fire with his, the wood of his plows. He wasn't going back. He was leaving it all behind. And so all of this is actually packed into this simple response with Jesus' blunt answer to this question. Let me go, fall, like, let me go say goodbye. Jesus' challenge here is, will you leave it all behind for me, for the kingdom of God? Jesus calls for his disciples to have an unwavering commitment. So as Jesus faced Jerusalem with the cross in the focus, the time came here for him to distinguish between true disciples and casual followers. See, casual followers don't risk their comfort. They don't reprioritize their life for the kingdom. They don't like commitment. Instead, these three interactions here are what Jesus requires of true disciples. True disciples possess these three qualities. They possess unreserved sacrifice, undivided devotion, and unwavering commitment. As I think of, think of the people in my life who have modeled this for me, what it means to be a true disciple, I think of a few different friends and the stories that have impacted my life the last five years. But specifically this morning, I want to think of my friend and boss and founder of Grain of Rice Project. So we do have some of these. Um, you can take a look at them later. These are a little overview of the nonprofit that I now work for since um, February of last year. And so I'm thinking of my, of my friend Amy, who's the founder of Grain of Rice Project and who used to live in Valparaiso. I think of the fact that for the past decade, she has poured her heart and her life into the mission of this nonprofit, empowering Kenyans through education and training initiatives in Jesus' name. For the first several years of starting the nonprofit, she volunteered endless hours to help, her, help accomplish this mission, all while being a full-time teacher as well. See, initially, Grain of Rice Project assisted single mothers, widows, and women who were HIV positive in Kenya in designing and creating fair trade products that they sold um, to help them earn a living wage. Beads and baskets were now the means of feeding their kids and sending them to school. It all started in a tiny living room and then also into a tin shack beauty salon with artisans crammed in the back room in Kibera, the largest slums in East Africa. And then in 2014, an organization from Valpo University gave Grain of Rice Project a $30,000 grant to start a new center in a clean space. They weren't crammed in a back room somewhere anymore. And so they remodeled a building. They bought sewing machines, tables, chairs, bookshelves, and more. And it was the miracle that they needed to continue. They later added a kids program and a football club, and both programs served as ways to educate, mentor, and inspire children and young adults to rise above their circumstances and to be leaders for change. 
And then after much prayer, years of vision casting, fundraising, and through the support of a community of people from all across the country, Grain of Rice Project began building the first phase of their new school, Grain of Rice Academy. And Amy, sadly, um, but at the same time when we were moving, <laughs> moved to Kenya, um, which is a good thing, but sad for myself, um, moved to Kenya to live on site for the school full time and to um, run the, the school operations there. So soon, Grain of Rice um, developed into an 18, or sorry, 8.5 acres of land compromised of a new school, an artisan program with close to 20 artisans earning a sustainable income, volunteer housing, teaching housing, vegetable gardens, a playground, and basketball, basketball court, and space to grow. And I think there's some pictures of the land here. So there's our new swing set, and there's some water tanks in the background, and that little wooden shack, if you can see it um, on the left, is a little play cafe for the kids. So there's a lot of fun activities for them to do. So before Amy moved to Kenya um, last, uh, in 2020, um, at the, in the fall of 2020, and um, in my role as uh, being stateside missionary for Grain of Rice Project, I have gotten to know her and her heart and her dedication to this mission and her love for the kingdom of God. This past year was uh, far from easy um, as Amy has overseen the operations of the new school. Last year we opened in May of 2000, just last year, May of 2000, mandates, okay, last May. Um, she opened, we opened the school there um, and she's been working at launching the school's literacy initiatives, um, teaching uh, training teachers with hands-on learning strategies, coordinating the artisan program, and helping kids um, to gain access to healthcare, housing, and education, and so much more. Amy is passionate about ensuring that, that kids that are from marginalized and underprivileged parts of society in Kenya have access to quality education. And you can tell they're adorable. Um, they love playing in the, in the dirt and they have some um, tires that they like to race with. Um, there's just so many incredible things that they're doing and the hands-on learning is super awesome to see too um, and all the STEM projects as well. See, Amy uh, has sacrificed many comforts. She's transitioned from life here in Valpo to life in Kenya at a new school that was in constant construction zone for nearly a year as they built um, all of the, the buildings, the classrooms, and the um, teacher housing and such. And it continues to be a construction zone because right now we're actually in the process of building another classroom because we're bringing in 25 more students in, um, in April. And so we currently have 66 students. Um, here's some of the kids on their computers, learning how to research um, for different papers. Here's some of our younger kids. I think this is um, our preschool kids um, listening to the teacher read. And so here I've just been able to see the last year Amy continuing to prioritize the kingdom of God, prioritize this mission um, above everything else. Day in and day out, she has um, completely reoriented her life around the kingdom of God. And she has modeled this for me and what, means, what it means to be a true disciple, someone who's sacrificial, devoted, and committed. 
And I'm constantly inspired and challenged and encouraged by her life as a disciple of Jesus. Well, we all can't move to Kenya, um, and we all aren't called to quit our jobs and start nonprofits, but we are all called to this life of discipleship. Just as Joel and I recently sacrificed some of our comforts and shifted our priorities and became parents for now the rest of our lives, so we too must make this same commitment as followers of Jesus. Just like parenthood involves being in the thick of it, so does discipleship. Following Jesus is not merely a task which is added to our lives like a part-time job or a hobby. It is our whole life. It is a solemn all-in commitment which forces us to reorder our lives in order to prioritize the kingdom of God. So just as Jesus had these potential disciples pondering their life and willingness to follow Jesus, we too can ponder this in our own lives. What are our buts? What excuses are we making? What comforts are we placing above the kingdom of God? What obligations are keeping us from following Jesus? What relationships are we putting before God, above God? What distractions are keeping us from focusing on the kingdom of God that is already at hand? So yes, Jesus calls out to us to follow me. And our response could be, should be, Yes, I will. No turning back. I'll leave it all behind. I'm in. And the thing is, the reward is this. It sounds like a lot of work, just like parenthood, but there is a great reward. When we commit to being true disciples, we, are, we transition from merely hearing about the stories of God to being a part of the story of, of God. When we walk this road of discipleship with Jesus, we get to experience firsthand the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. We get to see firsthand people healed, relationships restored, lives made new, and love constantly winning. After Jesus' resurrection, he presents himself to his disciples, and he begins to prepare them to be missionaries in Acts 1. Jesus says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Yes, even in Samaria, even in the place that rejected Jesus, the kingdom of God will break in. It has broken, and it will until to the ends of the earth. The call of discipleship is hard, but the reward is great. We get to see firsthand God's kingdom before us. We get to partner with God in his kingdom work, in love being made alive in this world. Jesus is calling to each of us today, follow me, and now is our time to respond. Thank you, Pastor Katie. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Thank you, God. <clears throat> Thank you for uh, people who have said yes to you, who have encountered your uh, call to discipleship, your call to follow, your call to model our lives after yours. Thank you for those who have heard that call and said yes. God, each one of us in our lives, we have encountered folks like that who have, be, because of their commitment to you, were willing to reach out in love to us. We're willing to, to serve us, to care for us, to, to 
to see us through some difficult times. To bring light into our darkness. <laughs> to do the work of Christ. Thank you, God, that, that you invite us now to be a part of that. As we encounter the love of Jesus, we are invited to be um, carriers of that love. To have that love transform our hearts and minds and lives so that we can carry your love, your grace, your light to, to those who uh, still are in such desperate need of it. God, we don't, we don't deserve the invitation to follow you. But we are so grateful that you have extended it to us. We are so grateful that you invite us to find uh, a new life in you, that you invite us to find a, a, new, a new purpose a new difference that we can make in the world. Thank you, God. Thank you for this amazing love, this amazing grace of yours that reaches out to every last one of us. We have seen it demonstrated so clearly in your son, Jesus Christ, who, who committed himself to following you no matter what, who set his face toward Jerusalem, who set his face toward the cross. The Bible tells us that was the... That was the full extent of his love being shown to us. Thank you, God, for holding nothing back out of love for us. Thank you that we get to celebrate that today with the celebration of communion. Uh, we offer to you these gifts of bread and juice, and we pray that by your Spirit's presence here, we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood. We remember, Lord Jesus, that as you gathered with your disciples for that Passover meal, the night that you were to be betrayed, you took bread and broke it and gave it to them and said, eat this, this is my body, broken for you. When you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. You took the cup, gave it to your disciples and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. This seals the new agreement, the new covenant between God and humanity. When you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. So as we come to your table today, Lord Jesus, we, we come offering you ourselves and praying that by your Spirit's work in our hearts and lives that we might be changed, that we might become the body of Christ given for the world, that we might remember you in all that we do, that we might represent you well, your love, your grace, your commitment to others. Thank you, God. Uh, for each of us, your Holy Spirit is going to be speaking to us about what this is going to look like uh, after, this, after, after today, after this morning. God, I thank you that you guide us well, and you will be guiding us into, into moments where we get to hear your Spirit speaking to us, just like these that we just heard about today, heard Jesus speaking to them. As you challenge us, as you call us, as you stretch us beyond uh, the boundaries where we've been before, God, would you give us the courage to say yes to you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, would you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The musicians are going to come and lead us in one last song as we celebrate communion together. Uh, I'll be here with a basket of bread and cup of juice. As we sing, you're invited to come forward, take bread from the basket, dip it in the juice and eat it, and return to your seats. It's open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today. Uh, no matter what we might have said in the past, <laughs> we, might have, we might have hesitated in the past, but if today we are saying yes to his invitation to receive his grace and to be his disciple, then we are invited to come and to celebrate that. Uh, we've got the, the regular bread and the gluten-free bread, and we've got the little cups that you can peel back and get to the bread and juice. And, and if you don't want to uh, get so close to folks in uh, being a part of the procession, then on the tables we have those little cups, and you can, uh, you can celebrate there as well as we sing. So let's celebrate, and let's give him thanks. Jesus, take me now. I 